question in that paradigm is just to try to get people into that triangle so that they can hear the religious providers provide the religious goods and services and come to faith and uh, hear the gospel and all of that. And then Galen offers this alternative paradigm talking about, you know, turning the, turning the triangle on its side so that it becomes this wedge into culture that has trajectory and it lives in the neighborhood and, and leadership is not hierarchical. It's more flat and the leaders lead out in the mission. They're equipping the people of God. They are present in the neighborhood and learning culture. They're, they're, uh, participating in the flourishing of the the city and the neighborhoods around them and I just heard him talk and I thought if that is what church planning can be that's what I want to do like that it was like a yes kind of moment welcome to discipleship conversations a mission alive podcast with Jeremy Hoover and Stephen Carazel Just a note about our the call quality in our interview with Charles. We ran into a few glitches with uh, on his end of the call, and so we are aware of some of the the places, several places where he his words are kind of skipped or missed or part partly said. So we apologize for that, but I think you'll get the idea of what he's saying throughout anyway. So we just appreciate you listening. Hello, friends. We're at Discipleship Conversations, and we've got a new conversation for you today. Uh, myself, Stephen Carazel, and Jeremy Hoover. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing? Good, Stephen. It's, uh, we are excited to talk to Charles Kaiser uh, for a couple of conversations, and, and in this episode, we have part one. Charles is a church planter with Storyline Community in Dallas. He'll tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, Jeremy, as as we as we listen to this first part, as we more than listen, participate in this conversation, as reflecting on this first uh, part of the conversation, I was uh, struck by two things that kind of tied together. Uh, one storyline, he says, thirteen years old. They started uh, so two thousand eight, something like that, and uh, his journey into that it was about a five and a half year journey for him from his first idea of being a church planter into realization of that, which takes him way back to the very beginnings of Mission Alive. Uh, So it was a long journey for him. Uh, He's been very faithful with Mission Alive, moving from a receiver of what Mission Alive does as far as equipping uh, and preparing uh, to now he's an equipper within uh, Mission Alive. Uh, he, the things he talked about going through, he now leads them. In fact, he led some of your training, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. So that's something that was really interesting to me to, to listen to and the length uh, of time that he's had with Mission Alive and uh, through that story and his own story. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this conversation with Charles, I think I probably know him better than most of the other church planners in Mission Alive. As you said, uh, he was one of my assessors. He did my training. I got to spend some additional one-on-one time with him through a couple of the training sessions 
when we were on location at different places. I always enjoyed talking to Charles, but what really stuck out to me in this first part, especially, was his transparency in answering questions and his self-awareness of who he is as a person, what his blind spots are, how he's grown in and through those things. I think there's a lot of wisdom that he shares and he wouldn't call it that he's just sharing, but I think there's a lot, a lot of wisdom to be picked up by our listeners. And so I'm excited about this first part. Let's go ahead and get into the interview. Charles, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're really excited to have you with us today. I want to begin by asking you just to kind of fill in our listeners on who you are, where you live, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do? Right on. I uh, live in Dallas, Texas, uh, Richardson, Texas, technically, but that's lost on most, most people that don't live close to or have some frame of reference. It's basically a first tier suburb just north of Dallas that my family and I've lived in for the last uh, five or six years. Uh, I am a minister with Storyline Christian Community, which we helped to plant in 2008. Um, I've been married for 20 years, almost, coming up on 20 this December, to my wife, Julie. Uh, we have three kids together, a boy and two girls, Ryan, Chloe, and Charlie, and they are, Ryan's a freshman, Chloe's a sixth grader, and Charlie's a second grader. So they, they are most, they take up most of my hobby time. Um, I, so my hobby is following their lives and being their chauffeur. And I, I like to read. I've been working through Frank Herbert's uh, Dune series in prep for the movie that's coming out uh how had i not heard about that before now um i i like to watch movies i like to hang out with friends and enjoy good company and good food um yeah those are those are some of my enjoyments in this life and i like to be here hanging out with you guys so that, that sums it all up we appreciate that. And your eclecticism is something I've always admired. <laughs> I think you and I have talked about a different hobby as well. And this might be something that you can get into a little bit as with the next question. And that is just to tell us about Storyline. Tell us about the church plant, how it started, and in some ways, how it evolved out of a hobby. Um, yeah. I, are, you, are you alluding to the board game stuff? Is I am. Okay, good. Um, all right. Well, I'll, I'll make sure to uh, to include that. Yeah, storyline is uh, thirteen years old. We were planted out of a couple of churches here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, we we did a couple of years of apprenticeship with some new churches before we moved to the uptown Dallas area, just right, right on the other side of downtown. And we moved there because we wanted to be near young professionals who were, who were moving to the city to live and work and play all in the same geographic area. 
And we also wanted to be in the city. We wanted to have proximity to the diversity of the city, to the, the assets and challenges of the city, um, to, the, to the poverty and injustice of the city um, so that we could uh, be neighbors and advocates in that way. And, you know, I think I, I think I was reading a lot of Neil Cole uh, at the time, Organic Church, and uh, I've always been drawn to cell church, house church, kinds of forms, smaller expressions, real formative to me spiritually. And so we, we formed initially, uh, really for the first nine years, kind of our pro- primary structure was as a network of, of house churches. And that met around uptown and then downtown and then in East Dallas. And one of the things that has kind of stayed true about our house churches, which we now call missional community, because that's the right term for it now. Um, <clears throat> um, people can't see that I mean that as a joke, but I, that, that was a, that was a joke. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think there is a right term for it. You know, we have trendy, phrases and stuff and I uh, I get captivated by all that as much as anybody else I guess um, but one thing that's kind of been true of these groups over the years is that they have focused on a particular uh, uh, neighborhood or a network of relationships to kind of focus their mission on and so we've had groups that met in apartment complex, clubhouses. We've had other groups that have kind of formed out of uh, civic organizations, other groups that have formed out of uh, apartment complexes that had lots of incoming refugees. And then most recently in the last five years, uh, I guess almost six years now, uh, I've been a part of a missional community uh, that has made it our our mission to be good friends and neighbors in this board gaming network, uh, and it it the way we got connected to it is we uh, we found a, a board gaming meetup that met in a local bar and just started going there on Sunday night, and one thing led to another. They showed us such hospitality there uh, as we became friends. They invited us into their homes and to their marathon 10 hour board game sessions. And then we reciprocated and invited them and their families into our home. And it became this really cool community of people, many of whom uh, that board gaming community is kind of like a church, it's their community. Um, and, and many of whom are agnostic, atheist, non-religious, uh, otherwise. And so, yeah, that's, I, sh- I should have said that was one of my hobbies. I think maybe what's happening there is just I've repressed it because we haven't gotten to do a lot of that in COVID, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoom gaming just didn't the same as tabletop in person sitting across from people gaming. But I definitely dig some good board games. Um, that's for sure. And I know you do too, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I hear that. We had just started a uh, kind of a small role-playing game group right before everything got shut down. And that's a little easier to do over Zoom, but it's still just sure. not the same. Yeah. 
what I, what I love hearing about Charles as you're talking there is you did not take a one size fits all approach to the, to your church planning activities. You kind of, uh, tried different things, made some stops and starts, found different things that worked. Uh, as, as you think about that whole journey of church planting, maybe your journey into church planting, even how did listening to God play a part in that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would like to say that from, from the inception, I just had an impeccable ability as did my coworkers for listening to God and, uh, and our, our structures, our strategy, our approach, even our ability to, to adapt and to innovate came out of a, a sense of listening to God and a sense of like, a, you know, following the lead of the spirit. I think I've always aspired for that to be true, but especially in the early days, you know, we started, we helped start Storyline when I was in my late twenties. And I'll be honest and say, I was pretty terrible at listening to God early in our church plan. And, and honestly, the, it was the struggles and the failures of church planning and, and the lesson that I had to learn personally that I could not do it on my own, that broke me. And it, it was the desperation of all of that that helped me discover listening to God in a, uh, in, a, in a real way, in a genuine way that wasn't just my own ego projection. Um, and I remember maybe two or three years in even, even kind of discovering um, the concept of listening to God and thinking like, man, wouldn't that be great? I would love, I need to hear from God for, for this thing to, uh, uh, to be sustainable. So it, it, it was really the hardship of those early days of church planning and the desperation of it that, that pushed us toward God and that led us toward and I'll speak for myself there were better listeners than me in the early days of storyline but um as the lead church planner if you will I young and immature I don't think I was very good at that and thank you Charles for that honesty that's really good yeah I thinking about your journey into church planting uh you know I more about maybe what was the conversation like then with um, with your wife? Uh, how did y'all talk about, hey, this is a good idea. I see you smiling there. Maybe I'm hoping that maybe it's a better story than listening to God. <laughs> that uh, maybe you, you listened to her some, or maybe you're just hoping she was listening to you. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about how, you know, how does a, how does a couple... Uh, it sounds like maybe with one kid at the time, uh, decide uh, this is a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioning that listening to God and hearing God through others. Um, I think my personality is inclined more in that way. It's only been in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, maybe that I have leaned into 
forms of solitude and silence as spaces for listening. Um, but I, I did, I did hear God in Julie and in others. It was the voices of mentors that noticed thing and noticed things in us um, that I I heard calling and and the voice of God through to kind of propel us into into church planning. I smiled because when I first mentioned church planning and and hearing a mentor of mine say to me, Charles, it sounds like you're interested and passionate about church planning. And that was new to me. Uh, I, I had never heard that before. I'm a senior in college at the time. So I go and do a lot of research, trying to learn about it. And sure enough, it, it fits a lot of my bent and my passion. And I, at the time, you know, Julie and I are engaged to be married, just about married. And I'm telling her things. And I think she's thinking at the time, okay, this is just a passing interest. And, you know, he'll be a youth minister or preacher like most of the other guys are. Uh, but I, I kept latching on to it more and more. Well, Julie hears church planning and she thinks um, I'm going to be taking care of the kids in a back room somewhere. And while Charles has a little lectern and gives sermons in the front room of the house. And she was like, if that's what church planning is, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm not interested in that. That, that does not. I mean, Julie grew up in this big, vibrant church that was really meaningful to her. And so I was, you know, I was like, okay, well, spousal cooperation, Dr. Ridley says that's one of the characteristics of, of legit church planners. We got to work on this. You know, we need to be on the same page. We have to share calling to some extent. And, um, and so part of that was the two of us going to some conferences and reading together. And I remember going to one conference in particular at her university alma mater and her some of her professors talk about uh, church planning. And then she came away from that thinking, okay, all right, Charles isn't just a, a total weirdo out in left field. I think I can, I, I think I can get my mind around this and I can really get my heart um, into this. Uh, it, it helped both of us have imagination for what church planning could be uh, beyond the really limited uh, images we had up to that point. And, and since then have been full-fledged partners and all in together. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess in terms of listening to God, we, we both had to listen to God together because we weren't going to proceed into church planning um, unless we had some shared agreement and shared commitments that, yeah, God is, inviting both of us into this and we may play different roles but um we we can see god opening doors and paving a path for us to do that uh that's really that's really good how how long did it take for the two of you to kind of come to the same page on uh the idea of church planting and maybe even what that ultimately would look like knowing that church plants uh, take on many different forms uh, what, what kind of length of journey, uh, was that? So probably from my, my senior year, the, the middle of my, my senior year until a couple of years into, it was probably two and a half years, a couple of years into my graduate work, 
Um, we, uh, I did an MDiv after uh, my undergrad degree right out, right afterwards. And so it took that, that conference where Julie and I went together and, and she was like, okay, I think I can see this. That was probably a year and a half or so after my initial um, interest and research into, into church planning. So um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but it did, it take, it took. Well, we had a bit of a uh, technical difficulties and uh, uh, lost Charles there for a bit. Uh, we were asking the question about just how long of a journey it took for you and Julie to kind of go from the, I don't know what church planning is and to all the way to starting storyline. And uh, you were saying somewhere it took about a year and a half up to a certain point. And then it's kind of where we, we, we lost you after that. Although I think you said about two and a half years altogether, but there was some kind of marker at a year and a half and then another year for something else. Uh, yeah, I think I think it was about a year and a half before we went to that conference together where we both were able to be in the same space to hear some of her mentors talk about God's work in and through church planning. And as I reflect on it, you know, from from my last year of college and that last semester until the time we actually started church planning and our our apprenticeship season started four years later and the actual work of church planning started about five and a half years later so it it took a while for it to kind of germinate and blossom uh, from the initial like discovery period and learning about it and getting on the same page to then kind of moving toward it and lining up partnerships and preparing and then getting to the field that's a long journey or it probably would seem so particularly at, at the stage of life you were in uh, young mid twenties um, time seems uh, is different than it is as you're older. I imagine you were, did you feel impatience there or what kind of, what, what kept you steady on the course toward that, that final goal of planting the church? I remember one of my spiritual growth lessons in that season of time was to um, to be present, to be as present as I could where I was because we were in such an in-between, um, because, because so much of our life was about not what, where we were at the, at, the, at the moment, but what was coming in the future on the horizon. And, and it, it was a spiritual practice for me to try to give myself fully to the relationships with folks in my seminary and, and in the church that I was a part of for the time that I was there, um, and not to hold back from that, um, even though it was, it was temporary, you know, it, it, it wasn't going to last. I knew when it would end. So, and that was really difficult. Um, I, I think it helped that I had um, really meaningful kind of apprenticing and mentorship kind of experiences leading up into church planning that where I was, 
I was really learning a lot and I was being invested in and um, that, that meaningful experience. It was, I wasn't just sitting around um, waiting to go and do church planning. I saw the things that I was doing as preparing me for where, where I was headed. I was learning some things that I would need to know um, for the trenches of, of church planning. And that, that really helped uh, too. That's good. What what role did Mission Alive play in your preparation, uh, equipping for church planting? Well, Galen was one of those early voices in my life. One of the voices of mentors that I heard uh, God speaking through. I went to a world missions workshop in 2003, the fall of 2003, um, and Becky and Galen had just decided to, to leave ACU and move. They were moving there. I don't think they'd even packed up their stuff to move to Dallas, but they, they had made the decision and they were heading in that direction. And he gave a presentation in this the education building basement. You know, it's one of those moments you just remember where you were when it happened. And I remember sitting in uh, those those wooden school desks that like have the wraparound arm. And I remember thinking, I am way too big to be sitting in this school desk uh, and and listening to this guy who I really didn't know at that point. And I heard him do his triangle bit, you know, where he was talking about church as a hierarchical triangle with the religious vendors, the preacher, the ministers, the elders at the top, kind of providing religious goods and services for the participants at the bottom. And in that paradigm is just to try to get people into that triangle so that they can hear the religious providers provide the religious goods and services and come to faith and uh, hear the gospel and all of that. And then Galen offers this alternative paradigm talking about, you know, turning the, turning the triangle on its side so that it becomes this wedge into culture that has trajectory and it lives in the neighborhood and, and leadership is not hierarchical. It's more flat and the leaders lead out in the mission. They're equipping the people of God. They are present in the neighborhood and learning culture. They're, they're, uh, participating in the flourishing of the the city and the neighborhoods around them, and I just heard him talk, and I thought, if that is what church planning can be, that's what I want to do. Like that, it was like a yes kind of moment where uh, his imagination for church planning just woke something up in me, and I went up afterwards and I put my email address down, and he called me, and we had a bunch of conversations between that point and when um, we said yes to move into church planning. That was a big way. It's just the, the, the spiritual and missional imagination that we heard Galen sharing that, that woke up our hearts into a particular way, um, kind of forming relationship. And then of course, we got all of the, you know, we went through missionalized discovery lab for assessment um, and that was confirmation for us of calling into church planning 
uh, we, back in the day, you know, we were doing the theology lab and the strategy lab. Uh, that was one of the things I really appreciated about Mission Alive was that, you know, Galen pushed back on this church growth pragmatism that basically was like lots of churches were operating in the, hey, whatever works to get people into our building, to get to get people giving, um, to grow our church. And and Galen was one of a few voices that said, hold on, uh, not all growth is like the best growth. And like, we need to reflect theologically on what the church is and live into the purposes of God and, and let the fruit come out of that theological imagination. And so the theology lab was a, a, a structure that expressed that kind of value for the movement from theological imagination to practice. Um, and structure and strategy and all of that. So we got all of that. We did the coaching stuff. I mean, all of that was that that network of relationship and support. Um, the 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 little band of church planners that were starting at the same time as us. We would meet at the coffee shop in Irving uh, once and just share stories and and uh, complain a little bit to each other, commiserate um, all of. That represents this community of planting that uh, I don't think we could have done it without that because church planting is so isolating. Um, it's so difficult and challenging um, that uh, you just, you got to do it with other people around you, even if they're not in the exact immediate trenches with you. Well, that's fascinating, Charles, to hear you talk about that. I did one of the early iterations of a discipleship cohort with Galen back when they were called the huddles. And he would share sections of his book with us from time to time. And just, to, I, I remember reading some of the chapters he sent and thinking like, I've never read anything like this before. Just the depth of uh, theological thinking that he put behind what's it mean to do evangelism? What's it mean to do discipleship? Uh, so I can, I, I can, definitely resonate with how that was formative for you in the early years. Normally around this time in the conversation, we ask a question about uh, how, how you continue to be resourced by Mission Alive, but I want to ask you a different kind of question because you've, you're kind of in a unique position where you've not only had Mission Alive helping you at the beginning, but you've also been involved with with Mission Alive, uh, training church planters. Uh, you were one of the assessors when I went through the Mission Alive assessment. You did my training, did an excellent job with it. I'm curious to, to have you kind of reflect on your experience with Mission Alive and then share how that helped you to continue leading Storyline and some of the other things that you're involved with through this pandemic that we've been in. Uh, Jeremy, let me clarify. I'm hearing you ask, what what have I learned about um, since I've since joining the Mission Life team? How did I benefit in ways that were helpful to how I continue to help lead Storyline? Yeah, that, and in particular through the line? pandemic. In particular through the pandemic. Okay. Um. So yeah, about two and a half years into. Uh, to church planning. I joined the Mission Life team first in some fundraising, 
uh, roles and then kind of shifted over into training and uh, recruiting and assessing church planners. And I think one, one immediate benefit that comes to mind of being a part of the Mission Life team and getting to, to be a part of the stories of a lot of different folks and teams that were planning churches is that, you know, it's like when you go to a wedding with your spouse and you, you hear the wedding ceremony and you kind of look at each other like, hey, we did that and we believe these things um, about each other. Uh, and it, it, there is like this informal renewal of your vows that happens when you go to other people's weddings. In some ways, it's similar to my work in Mission Alive. Um, not that uh, marriage vows are exactly the same as a calling into church planning, but man, I mean, church planning is a, it's a, it's a weighty commitment, right? It's, it's a vow of sorts uh, uh, to a certain way of life. And so seeing seeing church planners up front, uh, up close and personal like that just reminded me uh, and excited me again and again about the reasons that I got into it myself on, you know, in times when I was discouraged in the, tr in the trenches, seeing the, the fresh passion and vision from men and women who God was calling and who are at the front end of their, their journeys uh, reinvigorated me. Uh, you know, I think another benefit was, uh, I had to, because I was training and coaching planters, I had to reflect on my own practice in a deeper way than I would have otherwise. And uh, I, I think one of the most formative parts of that reflection was just having to think about um, uh, my own spiritual journey in church planning. I talked earlier about how church planning kind of broke me and led me into deeper prayer. And a lot of that was just, you know, I'm Enneagram three, I'm a performer, I'm an achiever, which is probably not a surprising profile for a church planner. And uh, I, 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 and I guess enmeshed myself in my own identity with the well-being of storyline in the early days. And part of the gift of that to me is when the failures and struggles of church planners church planning broke me, I found myself asking if God like approved of me um, or loved me. And that was my opening to discover that, uh, that God already loved me and approved me. It was like church planning helped me to hear the gospel in a, in a new way because I was brought to the end of myself. And I don't think that I would have latched onto that story. I mean, that was a formative story in the experience of it, but it was a story that I got to keep telling to other church planters um, and remind myself of. Uh, so just further reinforcing some of my, my spiritual commitment in church planning about making space to receive the love of God and to be reminded of my belovedness in the midst of church planning as the, uh, as the root, as the ground of my being as a planter. Um, and you talk about the pandemic. I think that sense of belovedness and that sense of identity was really big for navigating the pandemic. Uh, because at the end of the day, that good news says 
uh, we will will be okay, even if things are turned upside down. Um, we'll be okay. Um, frankly, even on the other side of death, if we meet death in this, um, because we live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Uh, I think another thing that helped navigate the pandemic, being a part of Mission Alive the way I was, was getting to see all different kinds of models and approaches to church planning and, and to see how contextual all of those approaches and models for church planning were, uh, were. And, and I think um, the benefit of that is some sense of agility and adaptability um, in when things are thrown up in the air. Uh, uh, so when the pandemic comes and it puts a wrench in all of your plans, well, uh, I, it's, it's an opportunity to adapt and to be agile and to pivot, just like I've been watching church planners do for the last 10 years. And just like we've been trying to do in church planning ourselves for the last uh, 10 years. I, I really, I really appreciate that. I don't, I don't know how folks do it without that kind of mentality. In some ways, just church planning, just being a church planner prepared me for navigating the pandemic. The mentality of the church plant of church planning is, um, well, this is, this is missional research and development. And so failure is part and parcel. That failure is our teacher. Failure is how we learn. Failure is how we find breakthrough. And so we hit a wall and we pivot, as the Tampa Underground folks would say. We hit a wall and we pivot. And we keep doing that. And that, that's, not, that's not abnormal. That is the norm in the trenches of mission. And so, uh, you know, it, it's no different, really, for a pandemic. It's just another wall. And we hit the wall and we try to pay attention and listen deeply and see uh, what our constraints are, see where the openings and the opportunities are, and listen to the, the Holy Spirit leading us forward. And we adapt and innovate as God gives us imagination to do so. Well, Charles, thank you so much for your honesty and transparency and sharing your, uh, not just your church planning journey, but your spiritual journey with us. It's been a really enlightening conversation. We've been talking with Charles Kaiser, Storyline Church, and this has been part one of our conversation. Part two will be out in two weeks. Thanks for listening to this Discipleship Conversation. We invite you to share this episode and tune in next time for another conversation. We also invite you to subscribe and rate the podcast through your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments and questions to media at missionalive.org. Check out the episode show notes and learn more about the podcast and other Mission Alive media resources at missionalive.org media. Intro and outro music is by audionautics.com. Mission Alive works to bring about the holistic transformation of marginalized communities through starting and renewing innovative churches that address the most challenging issues faced by their neighbors. Learn more about what we do and how to connect at missionalive.org.